I was actually never really interested in 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 religion uh, when I grew up, or in that part of kind of the the part of um, the stories, the, the mythology, one or another that you're supposed to believe in. Partly because of that that very predicament, you think, well, they all just present you with a different kind of story, you know, and then why should I, you know, if I looked at them, it wasn't necessarily, maybe I find one a bit more attractive than another, but none of them seemed to be that convincing to me that I somehow should have to choose one and believe in it and therefore think that's true and therefore the others are wrong. It just seemed to me it's likely, certainly, it's an awkward setup in the first place, I'm not quite trustworthy or very promising, until I came... Um, uh, to Buddhism, uh, in my case. And, again, why Buddhism so much attracted me, it had also to do with that, I kind of, my particular interest attitude was always very direct, very practical. I was interested, it wasn't that I wasn't interested in religion, but I was also more into the, into the mechanics of it, on the, in the practice of it, and the way it can affect you and change your life, maybe your attitudes or your direct, you know, e- experience. And that, that's what's, what I was more interested in rather than in, in a story to believe in. And, of course, it's not that Buddhism doesn't have a story or, you know, and, or stories and things that we can believe in or not. But for me, and I think right from the beginning, you know, sort of my approach, is, that seemed to be quite obvious that that wasn't the point, you know, even whether the Buddha actually lived or not. Now, at 2,500 years ago in India, um, I happen to believe he did, and there's kind of more or less, you know, fairly much to do with what what we have as a record of it, um, the bits and pieces that we do have. But it wouldn't, doesn't really, wouldn't really scratch even kind of the, the basis or the, the core of my face if it be, you know, somebody came along and could prove that a Buddha never existed, because that's not the point, you know. It's, it's like it's, say, the Four Noble Truths or the practice of the teaching, which are very empirical and direct, which we can pick up and see how that actually, you know, affects our lives. And that, that, that message that there's a possibility of freedom, of complete freedom from suffering that we can realize for ourselves, which is in the teaching, you know, which is a practical teaching. It's nothing to do with whether there even was a particular person, say, the Buddha who, who, who started it off or not, you know, or whether it was somebody else who came up with it or or a group of people, or whatever. It doesn't. It doesn't affect um, the, the actually the 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 teaching itself, which is what say I, um, what I was interested in. What, what you know, what still is what I'm interested and committed to, and what what keeps me going with this. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't, of course, mean that that therefore one doesn't. One has to be committed to having no beliefs, or, you know, or not having beliefs. And obviously, like I just said, like say, I, I did believe, or I do believe, <laughs> that the Buddha did exist. And for example, I, I, at the moment, I happen, I happen to believe in in uh, rebirth. Kind of thing. You know, often people ask that. You know, or, interesting enough, often that's what often people who are not Buddhists who come from other you know, belief-based religions come to us. So Buddhists, you believe? What do you believe in? You believe in rebirth, don't you? Well, I happen to do, but actually for a long time, actually I didn't, you know, until, you know, kind of, say, halfway down the road from becoming a Buddhist and where I am now. I, I didn't really believe it. I didn't disbelieve it either. I just kept in, you know, so I don't know. That was my, ba- my basic thing. Now, I tend more to incline towards believing it, but again, like for me, it's a belief that I hold very lightly, yeah. fairly lightly. <laughs> uh, but to say it, it, again, it's not—it's not a core issue for me. It wouldn't. It might affect. It might, who knows, affect my practice in some way or another. But not my basic kind of commitment to practice in reality, or whether there's rebirth or not. Whether it's just this one-off, or whether you know I've been around for many, many times, or something related to me, and so on. Um, so it's a—it's 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 a different way of. of to me, it seems to me, of, of holding beliefs, then say 
I believe <laughs> many Christians or Muslims or maybe, maybe Hindus or something would hold on to some of their core beliefs. Again, I can't ultimately know because I'm not a Muslim and I'm not a, I'm not a, a Christian, whatever. But what sometimes comes across so when I have um, uh, conversations or when I read a book like this one is, um, there a lot is it just hangs on this, on on beliefs, on believing something, believing a story. And I find myself reading that, for example, and so it's quite extraordinary how that how that should happen. And what effect it has on people's minds, and why is it so powerful? And all the, you know, why? It's I find that in itself intriguing. Like um, again, like because I just see in myself. Look, I'm much I'm interested in the psychology behind it that makes people um, believe and invest so much in belief. So I, I, I read, say, this kind of book, and I say, well, that's interesting. So somebody came along so many hundred years ago, and they said this, you know, and then people started to pick this up for whatever reason. They might, might have been very charismatic. They might have been, you know, for some reason, their story kind of spread around and got lots of followers. You know, they have got lots of other stories. People have brought up this, and they might not have got many followers and just got forgotten again. But a few of them have developed into what we call now major kind of world religions, isn't it? And I read it and say some of it is kind of very noble and sensible. Other things to me seem fairly pointless or even dodgy. And, you know, and, but in the end, I just read and say, well, it's, but it's just a story, isn't it? And somebody said, so why, why believe it? You know? And then you see the, the results of that. You can, well, so it, it takes men, of course, already into, you know, I start to think about why do people believe it? And people that I meet who have very strong faith in their particular story that they believe in, it immediately strikes me something that sometimes it can be even maybe perhaps quite, um, it can be quite impressive or something quite, you know, like me, perhaps even like intimidating and people come along with a lot of certainty. It's like this, you know, a lot of certainty gives them a lot of self-assurance, maybe even a lot of energy, you know, this feeling that, you know, they are, they are right and they are, um, I don't know, this is kind of feeling of, you know, security around it. I'm always operated much more from a place of, of not knowing. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um... And that can sometimes seem a bit like, uh, like even like weak. And I, 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 had, I have that sometimes. I mean, if you're if you're wearing a rope, well, again, it can have lots of effects. Sometimes it attracts, of course, people. Are, you can't hide very much. Behind, you know, it's obviously that you're somehow representing something. And maybe sometimes it it puts some very strong kind of convicted kind of face or belief-oriented people off. Like they often like. Um, um, Jehovah's Witnesses or something often like might, might not even try with me because I'm so obviously a lost case. Um, so it can give you certain security, but it also attracts, of course, people. If I move around in public, sometimes you know I end up with people trying to uh, well different things. So I'm just either just being interested in what I believe in or am, or even like converting me or saving me. No, this is my quite noble or good intentions. And can, I, I often feel quite, quite, I again, it's all something I'm interested in just seeing myself or seeing quite disturbed or, or by it. And if mostly it tends to be Christians, you know, I meet on a journey, train journey or something, and they start a conversation and ask me, you know, what I am and what I practice. And I think, oh, this, somebody's interesting. So I start to, you know, in my own way, talk about, you know, the, Buddhist teaching and think we get into an interesting conversation and some things that's what happens and something suddenly I just realize uh, you know there's a certain kind of fixed kind of expression in the face and and as soon as I stop or they, then they start to talk at me and just comes in an enormous amount of conviction just giving me the the truth you know about what it's really all about you know 
and some story about their particular belief in God and and the Bible or the Quran says this and 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 just and I find this often this is very little possibility to to get into any constructive um, discussion because it's like this this is this is strong kind of belief thing and if it if, if kind of the, the, the kind of position of security rests on that belief then it's obviously by, by definition this can't be questioned so so there's you know you feel then you feel kind of the alienation that happens through this belief so some of the the, the price both I guess some of the, the benefit and then also the danger the price that you that you um, pay for this investment in belief. So, so what, what I take from it is, is to see that partly it's attractive because obviously it's something that happens so much of so many people in the world who believe. And it doesn't even have to be religion. Sometimes it can be political ideas. It's kind of just the same. Isn't it? it can be held with the same kind of dogmatism. Uh, one thing that was my theory, just the, what I seem to pick up, is it seems to, to keep at bay a certain kind of basic anxiety about life about what, to me, seems to be the true fact. Now, now my flag comes up. I've been under this belief. You make out of it what you want. And he said, really, we don't know, isn't it? We don't have a clue, really. It's, it's the basic thing is that just uh, this, this experience of here we are. We are obviously, there's something happening here, isn't it? We are involved with it. And it concerns us, and it hurts sometimes. Sometimes pleasant, sometimes it hurts. And we know... You know, we are in this very precarious predicament of, you know, having a body, feeling sensations, being very vulnerable, um, being, you know, sooner or later getting sick, getting old, dying, not knowing what's going to happen then. And all the time, we don't really have a clue what this is really all about, isn't it? What, 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 what's the point of all this? Is? If there is a point, you know, what are we supposed to be doing with this? What does really matter? Now, this obviously, obviously, and I, I trust to most of you, quite real and burning vital questions that most of us, you know, need have at some point. And it creates a lot of anxiety, naturally, isn't it? Not, not really knowing, you know, just feeling obvious. This is important, you know, because this is happening, you know. And it really hurts when it hurts, you know. And it seems that when we die, we really die, you know. We, we lose people, we lose friends, and that hurts, you know. But, and, and, it, and there's so much, and there's so much, obvious so much confusion around it, isn't it? So like I remember just growing up and being interested and wanting to know, I was always eager, wanting to know, wanting to find out, and wondering about the world and, and, and marveling at it. And then, then, yeah, then you get this kind of popery of different kind of belief systems and religions that you can choose from. So it's supposed to tell you what this is all about, you know, what is the point, what you are supposed to be doing to feel right and to feel good. And I guess depending what kind of mind you have, you then make your choices. You know. And I can see that maybe for some people it can be quite attractive. Actually, yes, I can see even like I look back at the last few days or reading, reading that book, how, you know, you're just playing with it. You know, I just, I, I was saying, you just read this and say, well, it's just a story. And if you're not believing it, it's funny how you've got the different relationship to it. You're seeing the person who wrote this book, obviously pre they presenting, trying to present their religion to an audience of non-believers, of people who don't believe in this religion in a way of making it somehow as, as you know, attractive as possible, but not but talking to an audience who they know is not necessarily people who follow this. And so they're trying to present it kind of in a very objective way, and yet you're just feeling it. It's coming from a place where they really are commit, completely committed to this story. They absolutely believe this. You, know, you see this kind of... And you're seeing where I'm coming from, so I'm just reading it as a story. You just see the difference of the mindset behind it. And can... And... I feel these days, I mean, I also feel quite, in some ways quite sh sure, even in my own being, which is not story-based or belief-based, but it's much more increasing comfort with, with not knowing, you know. So I didn't feel, you know, I don't feel threatened in that sense, you know, by 
reading about other people's certainties or religions. But I just had to pick it up just playing with it or seeing, you know, whether you know, I could choose just to be, get converted. You know, how would that be? You're following that religion. You know? And I, could, I did realize myself as a part of it, you know, it's a fairly comparatively small part, say, seeing the, but being able to relate to the attractiveness of that. What would it do to my mind if I could really believe that? I think that you really, you really start. You, you really, I, I don't know. It's that hard to describe. You, you try that experiment for yourself, or you might have, you know, seeing a certain kind of imperturbability, kind of settledness with an imperturbility of knowing, of having made the choice, and about a certain kind of righteousness with comes with that, you've got your reference, it's that book, that story. And then, you know, what, what that would happen from the inside, what there I could kind of observe from the outside, like at every phenomena and question and, and problem and relationship in the world is just seen through that perspective and related to that recipe that is given, say, in that book. That's how we're supposed to look at it and that's how, that's how we're supposed to see that and that's how we're supposed to... It gives a certain kind of security, isn't it? Having that kind of story, I don't have to kind of always make it up again for myself and try and being with that uncertainty and trying to keep it kind of open and and, and saying right, I just go back to page so and so. There we've got the answer already. It was given thousand four hundred years ago. I just somehow you know see how that and just interpret how that applies to this situation, and I've got it. You know, I've got my answer, and there, there we are. You know. Um, I see the attra- you can see the attractiveness of it, but it also at the same time seems to me, again, this is my, my theory, and, and maybe it's wishful thinking or not. It seems to be that, and it's also really like a holding at bay of this, of this anxiety. You know, it's, it seems to me, obviously that's my story where I'm coming from because I'm doing this, it's, it, it, it seems to be a certain sign of weakness as well, of not being able to just staying, you know, with uncertainty and with not knowing and just really feeling how it feels, you know, without the protection of having it all already interpreted for you in a, in a, in a way so that it tells you that it's all going to be all right, it's all going to be fine, it's all going to be good. You just follow this and you're going to go to heaven at least afterwards and you, absolutely no doubt, you know, and what that would do to your life in terms of how you can approach you know, your day-to-day living, getting up every day and facing this mystery, you know, sometimes very painful mystery, and painful confusion around the world. Everybody else can be confused, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I know. And that's, I, I, I had that very directly in this, in this, in this almost, almost become a confrontation once in the um, traveling to Switzerland, to the monastery in Switzerland, in the dry, on a train through the valleys, which is very Catholic. And uh, I met this young man, he was probably not even 20, and he was one of those cases who suddenly turned out, ours. he was Catholic, he wasn't only Catholic, he was even in uh, Catholicism, he, he followed this one particular kind of cardinal or something who I hadn't heard about. He was very surprised that I've never heard about this cardinal because obviously that was the one who was actually giving the true teaching like to him even most of the Catholics all got it wrong and and it was interesting to just see in him this this by how he was exuding this kind of that kind of mm, slightly righteous but in a piece of kind of certainty while he was communicating with him what what, what he was actually saying was that was saying like isn't it, it like it's it's all it's like all it's so confusing you don't these days you don't know anymore what to believe in because there are so many so many stories that all all say something different and say, that, isn't it that's exactly the predicament isn't it? that's the uncertainty and then I thought he, he had it right there so then but then he was he was basically to me he was giving himself away you know because then he was saying but he he knows what to believe in because you know he had just happened to hit the right interpretation of the right book who basically said it all, you know, and there was nothing to argue with it because it's already all in the Bible. And and it's not just only on the Bible, but it's that particular cardinal, how he read it, and that's, you know, the he just got it right. So he didn't have to 
face his confusion or the doubt anymore. He was certain. So it just seemed to me, but you know, he was still very young. Who knows where he's, he is now? By that. But that's the anxiety and the, the, the feeling threatened by, uh, by, by not knowing seemed to be just right under this surface of this, this, this crust that he was you know, basically standing on, that, which was his kind of probably very recently, because he was still very young, newly found conviction and certainty. And um, often, um, that, that, that's like, I've, that, like in, in another, another occasion, I had it kind of like that with, with, like with Jehovah's Witnesses. It's like if, if, it's interesting, like people like that, or in my experience at least, that, that's so often they can feel it almost like, ah, they are on the right they are on a good ticket here. They, 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 if, you, if, you, if, if they start a discussion with you and they ask you what you, you know, some questions about what you believe in, and, and like saying, saying that, well, about a question that they say, well, I don't know, they would first feel very um, reaffirmed, thinking that, oh, right, you don't know. So here is somebody that we can give, feed our certainty, so then we can, you know, we, we can convince them of our certainty. You can come or to our sides, and then you feel as sure and certain as, as we are, and you are safe. And then you can be very confused and, and disconcerted when they realize or, get, or they don't even understand, perhaps when, when, when uh, you explain, or when I've explained that I'm actually quite comfortable with not knowing. And that's something that they just can't relate to. It betrays you know, basically just that basic, that maybe the, the very fuel of this strong holding on to a belief, of needing a belief. And how then this, the, the problem is, and how then this, this anxiety gets projected out. Because obviously that's, that's of course always, that anxiety, to me it seems, what lurks like a demon in the, in the, in the, in the shadows, in the background. But if you finally have decided, you are sure, you've got the right ticket, you're on the right board, you're with the right people, you've got the right belief, and if it's based on a story, that must mean that all other stories are wrong, aren't they? So you're always living in this world where your story is right, but the majority, no matter which religion, no matter how big your religion is, the majority of people on, on earth are not following that religion. They've got another story, and many of them might follow another story with equal conviction, so they must be wrong. So you always, you always have to keep those other stories at bay, isn't it? And that's an interesting kind of state to live in. I mean, you have to become, in that sense, consciously, unconsciously, quite defensive. Because if you're if you're feeling of peace, and you know, is dependent on on you know, whatever those pillars of your belief or faith are, then if if they get, you know, somebody, if you allow somebody to put a saw on them, and they, if they start to shake, then there's, there's, you know, a whole building in, in danger to come down, you know. So, so you always, you know, the more then it, you depend on that, the more you're going to have to hold on the, fi- the fixity of your belief, you know. And I guess that's a lot of where you, um, of the trouble that, that with religion, or with this particular kind of way of holding on to religion, uh, of course the conflict that comes from that, that we experience um, in the, in in the world, you know. First of all, it feeds certainly the possibility of that alienation. Listen, there's no, there's no real dialogue possible anymore, no real dialogue, because y- you can't allow yourself to, to get out of the parameters of your, your, your beliefs, nor can the others. So you can't really open up to where the other person is coming from, no? nor can they. And from there, of course, you've, you've got separation. And then, you know, if, it get, if this thing heats up, it can become, you know, violent conflict. And that's interesting. It, it reminded me of a, of a phrase from a German um, poet or somewhere where the, the uh, phrase is in the way he's talking about not having the benefit of the, the crutch of belief to move along. And just realize that it's a kind of the, the ambiguity or the, the, the double-sidedness of that image. And you can see how, like, belief can be this 
this crutch that makes you feel sta- it stabilizes you if you if you walk, isn't it? Because you, you have something to hold on to. It makes you um, feel more secure. You know? But if you, of course, you realize if you don't actually need the crutches, you know, if you're actually quite you know, physically fine, you can work without them, then it's really the crutches actually either make you feel safe and more stable, and then when you're just holding on to them, they're actually, they're actually hindering you from, from developing your full potential and from actually moving. You know, they make you less agile. So if you don't have them in the first place, if you learn to walk without crutches, you know, you've got much more possibilities, actually much more flexible. And then I just see also in this thing, if you're not, if you're not, if you're, if you don't need beliefs in order to feel all right, to feel feel safe in the world, or if you don't even need to feel safe in the world, I mean that goes together with it. And so that, that means then you don't need those crutches, you don't need the, the, the beliefs. Then you've got to, like I say, like if reading about different religions, different beliefs, they are not, let's say, I like to be, so I say it seems to be true enough for me at the moment. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel threatened by any of other people's beliefs, you know, because I don't have beliefs that I hold onto, it seems to me, on, on a religious level, so in that sense that feel, you know, that I have to hold up against them, that feel threatened by them. So I can just read this interest and see, look at off, you know, come to my own conclusions, you know, how, you know, you know what I'm be talking about, you know, what parts, you know, which, which beliefs seem to be wholesome, maybe, or beneficial, and which ones, and I think, well, I don't know whether this is so good or whatever, you know, the very kind of flexible kind of attitude. Um, you know, which is very different when you are really committed you know, to one of those. That's you know, that element of threat, and then that's that's again more something that I found very early on for me from getting interested in the in the teachings of the Buddha. So there are a lot of um, stories and things that you you, you know, things that you might choose, you can believe in or not. But as you know, before obvious, it's not the that's not really what what the Buddhist teaching is about. And one thing that that attracted me, being this 15 years ago, whatever, and then it has, has kept going for me like that. You know, in the Buddhist teaching right at the beginning, not knowing yet that much about it, and just having accumulated a little bit of knowledge about other religions and the different, you know, um, belief systems they would give you, and and then my, you know, option of choice. Well, which one do you want to follow? The Buddha didn't seem to talk about it at all. He just came from a totally different angle. He usually doesn't, he doesn't give you another story. He's just as much more interested in looking at how are we actually holding stories and what do stories and beliefs actually do to us. And it just was quite a revelation to me. It's just a totally different kind of attitude, which was much more attractive. Not much from the same. Right, like one, one particular um, discourse of the Buddha that just came to mind in the context it's about the question of um, free, how do you call it, free will or determinism. And that's another one now. That's, another, that's a thing that endless debates are being held about, you know, in religious, philosophical, in other words, and um, uh, in jurisdiction and so forth. And, and I can think about, think about in circles about and wonder and trying to get the, the proper answer. I also was kind of quite, I get shocked Shocked, shocked, that's <laughs> shocked, charmed, and puzzled. But when I read this, what, what I remember is the main kind of discourse of the Buddha that related to this um, theme where people ask him about it. I don't remember the name of it. I think it's in Majjhima somewhere. Um, where his, re- his response to it was entirely different, was just pragmatical. He wasn't giving another answer about saying his bit about what he held to be true, whether we have free will or whether everything is determined. Um, he, he basically said, well, uh, if you believe that everything is determined, then it's not gonna, there's no room any for, for motivation to do any practice to improve your life because you'll think that everything is determined already, so why make any effort? So he said, obviously, this is not good. That's not wholesome. So the result of that is not going to be, it's going to lead to negligence. You know? Whereas if you believe and that there's free will, 
then it will motivate you to do something about your situation. No? So that's basically why he said, that, so believing in free will, that's wholesome. So I, I promote that one. I said, well, you know. He said, well, this is not, you know, this isn't quite. No, this is another way we, we used to think about from the Western world. You know, it doesn't say yet whether it's right or not, isn't it? Come on. You know? <laughs> uh, but I think it's a very, and it doesn't, of course, n- not mean that, that that's, might be the end of the, what the Buddha might have to say about that. You know, they might find other passages, but other things I'm not sure right now. But that always stuck in my mind, that one, because I think it highlights a particular kind of attitude of the Buddha, which two things, that yours, that yours are, one that is very, always very pragmatic, rather than giving, you know, absolute philosophical or religious answers about the ultimate nature of this or that. He was interested in giving something that we can actually practice with, to do something about, you know, how we experience life, you know, the suffering of it, you know, in, in the actuality of our experience. And the other one that is also is obviously very direct, this psychological or, or direct empirical interest in what is actually happening for you right now, you know. That's what he was interested in, you know. Suffering and the end of suffering, that was all we talk about. And it's, of course, something that's not an idea. It's not an idea suffering. It's not something in a book. It's something that, that really happens, and it happens now. It's an actuality. You know? And you would always turn things right in there. So what's actually, what is actually happening for you with those things right now? So what is actually happening with belief, whatever you believe in? You know? How do you actually holding this belief? And what does it actually do to you in your life, practically? And that was his prime way about how to you know, judge things in terms of their usefulness or not. Mm-hmm. And so, so he would quite obviously do misbeliefs. You know, he would say, you see what he would, you know, that was his, his first way of, of approaching belief. So what, how are they actually, you know, affect people's lives? Are they actually wholesome or unwholesome in terms of the empirical result of them? Never mind whether they're actually true or not. Because that truth, you know, you know, what is it in the end? You know, this is something that the, the mind always wants this, this the, the truth as an idea, as an, something an absolute, you know. Whereas the Buddha was actually much more happy in, in truth in terms of reality. And you remember this? I don't remember where this comes from. I only know it as a screensaver on the, on the office computer, computer in, in, in Chithurst, you know. Reality is what is happening while we are busy making other plans. You know? So this is the kind of truth about, truth about what is actually actuality. Huh? What, what's, what's, actually, what's actually happening? What is actually the result? Huh? And in that sense, I think, this, 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 we can extend that, and that's, to me, kind of the, the core, the true practice True practice, that's an interesting one, isn't it? So, you know, what, what, for me, I mean, where real practice is really happening is, is um, where we can look into any kind of how stories and beliefs that we hold. Because, of course, those stories of religion, they are, of course, they're just one, one set, in a particular point in ones, because they, they tend to try to provide for us the kind of ultimate answers that gives the kind of the big picture, you know, to, to make us feel that we know, you know, what we're doing in the world. But, of course, the truth is our, our mind or personality where we operate, of course, all the time uh, with an infinite set of stories that we somehow hold to be true about ourselves, about others, about the world, about what's important, what's not important, what's, you know, what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done, and, and so forth. And um, a lot of that, while they are beliefs, you know, often we have actually, you know, Sometimes you have a lot, often you have little, or you know, evidence to actually back up some of those <laughs> stories that we actually um, that we actually holding on to. But they are, and that's an interesting, again, an interesting concept is in Buddhism is they are um, often functional beliefs. They certainly do some, you know, more successfully than others, some more wholesome than others. But they, they, they do they, they serve a function, isn't it? They, you know, as long as we we either, whatever you want to put it, you know, don't know better if there is something to know or we can't yet really feel comfortable enough without those beliefs to actually let them go and just live out of a total unknowing, uncertainty. Uh, um, they keep us kind of going, isn't it? They kept us going until now. They brought us here. They got us going so far. And they have, some, they have something 
going for them. You know, they give us an orientation in life and make us feel reasonable, okay, hopefully. Uh, as I said, some stories and beliefs are more helpful than others. And so that's, like, the Buddha always kind of recognized that, in the mind, by nature, that's, again, that's empirical. It seems to that's just what we are, what we are, what we've got, isn't it, what we can see. It's what's happening anyway. We all have beliefs. And we all have more beliefs than we'd like to acknowledge, and certainly more beliefs than we could possibly even know. And they're just operating all the time, and they keep us going. You know, and the less we know them, the more they actually <laughs> run our life, you know, because they're not examined in that case. Now, so the Buddha wasn't keen on just slashing through them and, and just, you know, at step one and leaving you with nothing else. Be why? Because he was quite pragmatic in that sense, you know, because he knew that wasn't necessarily going to be helpful, not necessarily going to be wholesome, because if they serve a function, they might be just be crutches, but if you haven't yet learned to walk, you know, if our legs are not, maybe not strong enough, then crutches can be functional for a while, you know while we need them, you know, they serve us, they help us, and we can actually, if we use them properly, maybe, I mean, if, if, if there's a chance, if you have it in it, say if you had an accident, but we can recuperate, then we can use them and train our legs up until can we walk without them. And then it's time to put them down, you know, otherwise you can get it wrong if you just keep on them because they helped you so much so far. And that's always been, that's, that's always been kind of, to me, kind of the Buddhist approach, or this, to just recognize the important thing in, in, in practice is that we become more and more, we start to know more and more how our mind works and how it has all those stories and beliefs. And the more we can cultivate a refuge in awareness, you know, in just the knowing, the more we can actually, first of all, start to see that and know that. And the more that becomes actually not just an idea but a lived reality, you know, the more of our energy or something is going to be in the knowing. You know? And it doesn't mean that necessarily those beliefs and stories disappear or even have to disappear, but we can know them as such. So we are less identified with it. You know? We are leaning less on it. We might still use them or we might just see ourselves still using them, following certain habits, patterns, beliefs, ideas. But maybe, hopefully, that's part of the you know, experience of practice over the years. You know? Sometimes it can be very sudden, you know, an insight can happen, so you suddenly see something that you've always just take, never question, you know, a belief, a story about yourself, about how you are, or about how you're supposed to do something, or how others are supposed to do something, and then suddenly one morning you just, or evening, or <laughs> whenever, you just see that and just realize that this is just a story, and it might not even be true. <laughs> And you, you don't have to believe it. You can just, and it just drops like that. You know? Or it just becomes what it is, a story, rather than the truth. You know? And sometimes a story can just crumble like that, suddenly. And the interesting thing is that if that happens, you, suddenly, you just realize that something in you becomes, feels kind of more alive then, more radiant, more free. Uh, it's like the, the energy, you know, life energy that was kind of that was trapped in that particular story, in that particular habit, habit in that rut that would always go down. So because suddenly it doesn't, you know, energy doesn't just disappear. You know? It seems to be. seems to be a law in the universe and seems to not only apply in physics. You know? It becomes available. It becomes free. You know? And can become creative. You can do something else with it. Suddenly you can do something different. Uh, sometimes it doesn't, it's not that easy, isn't it? Sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes you see... Or sometimes you just, just, you know, often it's just, there's a gradual dawning, isn't it? Or even you see part of that, you think this is, or you start to, well, I guess this is right, this is just probably a story that I believe in, it's just the mind. But you can't yet disengage from it, you know, it just, it just keeps going, you know. I, I remember just coming up with that trouble uh, to one of my teachers at, at a time, but it's really having felt I've really seen through it, you know, through a lot of it, and yet I just keep, doing just the same stupid things, following the same patterns, just as always, you know, and was really quite despairing about it. And the kind of bit laconic answer was, oh, but it's just come on, it's the way out. And, and, and it's a bit like that, isn't it? If you've just got invested for a long time in certain kind of stories, which, of course, are not just stories in our mind, you know, but, you know, again, as the Buddha said somewhere, or has said supposedly in one of his teachings, you know, the way that we think, 
you know, repetitively, that, that just creates a mental habit. And once we create a mental habit, that's going to, you know, it's going to start to um, just color the way we see the world, and that's what we're going to end up acting upon. And so there are different kind of levels of commitment to stories and the amount of energy that we can invest in them. And if you have done it over a long time, it's like it creates momentum, isn't it? That's like, you know, the vipaka, you know, it's actually the, the Buddhist terms, and it's a result of the karma, of the action that we keep doing, you know. So it just has a momentum, keeps going, which sometimes you cannot just break by just seeing it once or twice or even ten times or even continuously. It just... Sometimes it just keeps going for a long time. But once we have seen, you know, we've already taken a lot of the energy out of it. We're not, we're not feeding it in the same way anymore. And notice, you just have, have trust, faith in that. And how this is actually, this is not something we have to do with this. It's quite, quite naturally. It's obvious. Once you have seen something, it becomes very obvious that part of you is already outside of what, what, what what you're seeing, it's not in there anymore, you know. And so slowly energy starts to be detracted from what you're seeing, you know, and it goes into the seeing, into the knowing. And that's what, what we, to me, what we try to cultivate in meditation, what's, what's actually really the aim for it, whatever techniques we do, whatever, you know, whatever we, we feel we try to achieve in meditation, what we like, you know, states of mind and so forth. It's actually the ability to just really be with our experience, however it is, embracing it and knowing it, and knowing that on some one deep level, we, you know, we, we just we, we don't have to do anything about it. We can really just know it and know that the part that knows it is free of it. It's not in it. And whenever we invest in that, whenever we can see that, maybe, you know, that gets strengthened a little bit, and a little bit of of energy gets taken away from the beliefs of the stories. A little bit of weight gets taken off the crutches that we're leaning on. And see what we do when we actually lean less on the crutches. We start to feel, you know, if you ever had to walk on crutches, and, you know, it's, it's actually even physically, it's a bit, there's a bit more freedom, isn't it? You're a bit more flexible. You're not, you're slightly less clumsy. You're standing more on your own feet. And at some point you might just feel, oh, you're still holding this, this crunch, but it's actually not doing anything anymore, you know. So, you know, you can throw it away. So in, 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 in just to kind of round this off in, in our practice, I just to, yeah, I'd like to say, you know, maybe once again, and that's how, for me, I was often like, also like this afternoon talking, often when I, I, I get questions on discussions about practice, um, there's often this kind of, I find this often, and that's certainly also the case for me, um, this struggle in practice with our tendencies, habits, you know, yeah, personality tendencies, because it seems to be, it's like this, this kind of net that we're kind of entangled with, and it's kind of so, seems to be so impossible to disentangle oneself. And so, like, obviously, we, I mean, we get the, you know, we get the advice about how to meditate, how to practice, and we can read it in a book, and we hear it in talks, and we try to apply it. It's like always, you know, once we take it on, it's like always we, we kind of get entangled with it in our own, you know, somehow it gets kind of distorted in, back into doing it and kind of replicating our own personal ways in which we somehow feel we kind of do anything and we somehow maybe like to get out of or, you know, get rid of or something. <laughs> I mean, some people, maybe maybe you don't even notice. Sometimes you just think, you know, that's, you pick up a meditation or practice and you just pick it up, follow the recipe, and you feel you're really cruising along and you're doing fine. 
and that could, well, might well be true, whatever, but it could well just be uh, actually still a sign of yet practice that hasn't become very kind of self-reflective or informed, you know, because you might not still have noticed how this quite natural, obviously natural tendency is going to happen, that whatever, however we are, whatever our habits are, our personality habits and, and so forth, they not just going to be suspended when we pick up meditation or spiritual practice. It's, it's the same kind of person. It's the same kind of ways of doing things and conscious or secret or unconscious expectations who's going to pick up meditation or the Buddhist path and try and going to somehow or another do these things my own way to somehow get, get kind of the results that, that, that I'm kind of interested in and, and that I have my own fantasies and ideas about beliefs about how they're supposed to be, you know, my own beliefs about how I should be, how I should practice, how practice should be, what, where I should arrive, you know, what, you know. It's, it's, it's interesting, even like if you, any kind of Dhamma talk, or you read a book about spiritual practice and that a group of different people have read and then you ask them afterwards about it, what they read or what they heard, how different that is, you know, how that gets all filtered through their own preferences, our own preference, I should include myself here, you know, what we're actually even able to hear and pick up and what we don't, what we just screen out. We just don't hear it or see it. Or we hear or see it our own way. It becomes something totally different. <laughs> and, and that's, of course, that's a major issue. That's, that's in, in, in practice. We, we have to be aware that this is, this is, is going to be there all the time. You better become aware of it. If you just start to see it, it's actually a good sign. Because again, what we don't see, that is, is even more, more likely just going to run our life. Once we start to see it, uh, we, can just, we can actually start to become free of it. And part of the, the practice, how it goes on, is actually that it's just becoming aware of more and more of that kind of thing. It does never seem to end. You know? So to me, the, the, the phase there is really once we, to, to see, to text it on consciously to see the principle in it, that that's part of the practice and that, that's how we're going to start to learn, by just learning more and more about you know, how we, you know, how we uh, operate as a person with, with all its limitations, so that we actually can start to factor that in, you know, filter out our own filters, as it were. That's kind of the kind of way we become actually to, you know, <laughs> but to perhaps more truly objective you know, if that's possible, you know, appreciation of what is actually happening, you know, rather than by claiming or trying to believe that I've got now, because I've read in the book and I've got the true, um, the true story or the, the true recipe or an ana analysis, I can ana analyze what's going on. So I have not, the, I now have got the absolute, the Buddhist, my version of the Buddhist view on, on reality. You know, the more I believe it, the more likely that's probably, you know, everybody else in the room are probably going to roll their eyes, you know, because they see how much this is just your interpretation of what is the true and absolute and ultimate way of looking at what is really going on, you know. The more I can mistrust that, the more I can actually start to see that, you know, well, how, how, how this tainting of actuality always going to happening, and that's the me bit. That's the one that you're going to have to be start to get, you know, smart about, that we're going to start to see. I was just going to bring a couple of examples there, but my mind has gone blank. <laughs> so, drop down somewhere in the back of the, into oblivion. Um, so maybe I should cut it short and trust that you've got the principle there. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you've just got, uh, you know, all your own examples. How it sometimes can be, how we try to see something new about ourselves that we've never seen. No. And then it is how we've got a choice then. We can certainly can feel, um, you know, we can judge ourselves again, but we can certainly feel actually the joy, you know, about, about having actually been able to see a limitation that we have. So rather than getting frustrated about our limitation, 
this is two real options, and sometimes you can experience a difference, isn't it? Because you actually experience the joy about actually seeing our limitation, actually knowing that that seeing is actually what lifts us out of the limitation, or what has the potential of lifting us out more and more of our limitation. And so we don't actually have to attack or destroy our personalities. You know? We're not gonna, ever going to get rid of them anyway, you know, as long as we've got a mind. You know? um, but we just, we just get more and more perspective on it. We take it more and more lightly. It's like this, this um, crutch, that we, the crutch that we have to really lean upon, as long as we don't really know yet about how to be without them. You know, but it gets, gets just lighter and lighter. So, interesting enough, you might become more and more unpredictable, unpredictable you, to yourself. And that's actually quite exciting. You know? Like I was saying about myself, that's I, I was going to get back to that, I guess. Oh, I started by saying I've started to have this, this assumption about myself that I don't give talks anymore. I just answer questions. And as a matter of fact, this, it's the second talk that I've just given recently here. You know? And who knows what's, you know, how, how I'm going to be Tomorrow, you know, might be dead, <laughs> actually. Uh, but, you know, so this, this is total, you know we, know, we know what we know about ourselves, about others. This is, this is always the past, you know. We know what we've accumulated, how we are, what our habits are, what our preferences are, what our limitations are. And that can be quite valid knowledge in terms of to have a realistic um, appreciation of what we, we can and what we can do. But we can hold it in that kind of suspense about that's what we know, that's how up to now. Yeah. But in this possibility of just knowing, you know, there's a possibility to open up to the to the unknown, you know, to the which is which is the future, which is the next, the, the possibility of freedom. Yeah. And that even with all the limitations that we have, that there's, all, there's always the possibility, the potential that we can ex- we might experience them in the next moment. But if you strong enoughly grounded in awareness, we might just have enough awareness to just experience it, but to realize a choice. Though we don't have to follow it, we can do something else, totally different. Uh, Though we don't even know right now. We will know then, and that's good enough. (laughs) Okay.